Marvin Goldfried is a distinguished professor of psychology at Stony Brook University, where he helped develop the graduate program in clinical psychology. He's the co-founder of the Society for the Exploration of Psychotherapy Integration. Alan Francis is a professor of psychiatry and chair emeritus at Duke and was chair of the DSM-4 task force. Marvin describes the evolution of his psychotherapy orientation as psychodynamic, behavioral, CBT, and eventually integrative. He practices, teaches, and supervises what works clinically using direct and indirect evidence base. Alan describes his approach to psychotherapy as whatever works or no one size fits all. He was trained and taught at the Columbia University Psychoanalytic Center, but remains equally interested in brief, supportive, cognitive, behavioral, interpersonal, and family therapies. Please enjoy this week's episode. Good morning and welcome to Talking Therapy. I'm here with Alan Francis. Morning, Alan. Hey, Marv. How are you? And I'm Marvin Goldfried, and we've got an interesting topic for today. Not that the other ones were not interesting, but we're particularly interested in this. And, and that is, is the past, is awareness of the past necessary in order to bring about change? So, Alan, what's the answer? Well, necessary is a strong word, but I think it's usually very helpful. And um, I, I think that the um, tendency in psychodynamic therapies and psychoanalysis to overemphasize the past in ways that we can discuss led to a reverse kind of blowback among some of the behavioral and cognitive therapists to de-emphasize the past. And I think we'll both agree that the use of the past is important so long as it's not overused and made the focus of treatment. So like everything else, we blame it on Freud. Well, I think that Freud, Freud had three conceptions of what psychoanalysis was. He said it was a model of the mind, it was a research tool, and it was a therapy. And part of the problem was that he and subsequent analysts tended to confuse the research tool part with the therapy part. And they got so entranced with having patients recreate their pasts and actually regress into their past. This original psychoanalysis focused on creating an opportunity for, for regression within the transference to recreate, relive the past, that the subsequent analysts often got lost in the past. And instead of focusing on how the past informs the present, they became too delighted with discovering the, uh, the unconscious in the past of the individual. And if you focus too much on the past, that unbalances the treatment. But now you use the word research. This is uh, 19th century Viennese research, which is very, very different from 21st century um, research that exists throughout the world nowadays. Exactly. Right. So, so, but here's an interesting thing. Freud didn't start this way. Freud originally said it's about external circumstances current external circumstances are creating the problem, not within the person, but they are reacting to things that are happening to them, namely sexual abuse. Yeah, and I think that Freud at the beginning, you have to realize Freud was not a psychiatrist and there was no psychoanalysis until he invented it. He was a neurologist. Right. And the patients he was seeing were symptom, people presented with symptoms. 
and he very much wanted to remove the symptoms. It's only as he realized that it was harder and harder to remove symptoms without discussing the person's past and the un unconscious motivations for the symptoms that he got involved in depth psychology. No, but I, I see, I have a very different take on that. His, he, from my point of view, discovered sexual PTSD from sexual abuse. And he essentially said, these symptoms are a result of what these women are experiencing that is stressful, that is, that is traumatic. It's not within the person, and it's not in the past. It's an external, I mean, it's an adjustment disorder in, in a very global way, at least in quotes. Well, it was in the past in the sense that the women he was seeing were reporting sexual abuse, not in the present, but in the past. But I, but I agree with you completely that at that point, this is pre-1895, at that point, the model was that the cause of the symptoms was an early life experience that had created scars in the individual fixations and regression points that, that uh, caused problems later. And that it was only when he became convinced that it was impossible that every woman in Vienna had experienced sexual abuse that he switched the model to be one more of um, individual fantasy rather than actual um, physical harm. Okay, so let's not get too pardon right. question, fixated uh, on Freud's contribution. You know right. what I mean by fixated. I think the main point here is to say that psychoanalysis got stuck when it began to focus too exclusively on the past and got stuck when it began to when it felt it was necessary to create regressions in the patient to the past in order to create progress in the present. So right. psychoanalysis got stuck by being too past oriented. Right. But the S, well, an important essence, I believe, and tell me if, if I'm off base here, of psychoanalytic thinking is the notion of psychic determinism. That what you see is a manifestation disguised, a derivative of something that occurred much earlier. And what occurred much earlier was conflictual in nature and is driving what is going on now. So yeah, no, that, was, that was a brilliant insight. And Freud sometimes used the term transference to describe this, sometimes used the term repetition compulsion. Yeah. But the idea that, the, and Faulkner, actually said it very well the past is never dead it's not even past and that's a sort of summary of, of important insight of freud's that you can't deal with present without or, or maybe another way of putting it is less strong is that it, it's not optimal to deal with the present as completely cut off from the past that if you don't understand that past you'll, you're doomed to repeat it yeah, but sometimes a cigar is just a cigar and the shape of a chimney functions to let smoke out of the house. <laughs> I think he said that too somewhere. Either that or I'm making it up, I'm not sure. So I, I think, you know, so, so one of the issues that I think that I'm, I'm getting stuck on is the role of current circumstances determining behavior, which I think was ignored. Exactly. And I remember as an undergraduate, the uh, formula of Kurt Lewin 
formula in quotes, behavior is a function of personality and environment. And I think, you know, this whole notion of, of environment affecting a person's psychological well-being is certainly very much with us nowadays. And, uh, and we recognize that. So I think that that is one of the issues uh, to be aware of, that, that if you are totally believing in psychic determinism, you're ignoring current situational situations. Exactly. I, I think the early behavior therapists, uh, Wolpe and Lazarus, uh, partly using Skinner's uh, his inspiration, and the early cognitive behavior therapists, you know, in terms of uh, Beck and, and um, Ellis, they, they provided a great corrective to what was the current psychoanalytic model of treatment, focusing so much on the past and saying, let's also consider the present the person's living in, the circumstances of their life, and how that past, well, for the first, I think, pioneers focused too much on the present. The, almost to the exclusion of the past, but then behavior therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, I think developed in a way that allowed it to be interested in schemas in, in the past as it applied to the present. Yeah, and I think that that's the sensible way for people to act now, not to overly fetishize the past, but at the same time not to ignore it. And that's, that's correct. And but and it even started before cognition entered behavior therapy in the sixties. There were experiments done on um, phobias, and fear of snakes was one of them. Another one was public speaking. And there was no exploration, no reference to the past whatsoever. And that just did not compute in the minds of psychodynamic therapists. But the data were there, and, and it was hard to ignore the data, even though you couldn't explain it. Yeah, and that, that's exactly why I, at the beginning, was concerned a little bit with saying, asserting that the past is exploration of the past, seeing patterns in the past as they apply to the present, that that's a necessary aspect. Because I think some therapies, especially with simple symptoms and especially with phobias, some therapies can ignore the past completely and still be effective. Yeah. So this training can be effective, pretty much ignoring the past. But I think the best therapists and the best therapies are the ones who are flexibly able to feel in any given moment and to it in any given moment how much understanding of the past will further the patient's corrective emotional experience in the present. It depends on how you're defining the best therapists. I, I agree with you. Let me do this hasten to say that I do agree with you. I think one of the characteristics of the best therapist is that they're not stuck in theory in their theory. Because if they're stuck in their theory, they can't see the relevance of other stuff. So I was once asked, and, and this was many, many years ago, I think it might have been bef even before cognition came into behavior therapy in, in maybe the late 60s or early 70s. I was asked to be a discussant where an analyst presented uh, his work, male analyst, his work with a person who was phobic and reported that after several years of analysis, the phobia disappeared. And, and I, was, I was asked to comment on that. And it's like, oh my God, <laughs> how, do, how do I comment on that? So I, uh, and maybe I was a bit harsh, but it uh, just struck me 
I, I was very emotional about that. And um, so I said, I, my comment will consist of a parable by Charles Lamb on how pork, how roast pork was invented in ancient China. And it occurred when the pigs were in a sheep herder's shed and the shed caught on fire and they tasted the pork and it tastes better than raw pork. So they went ahead and started building more sheds and throwing <laughs> the pigs in and then lighting it until they figured out that there was a more direct way to make roast pork. That was my commentary. Exactly. Um, hostile, but um, yes, it was hostile because I think that, that we owe an obligation to our patients to provide them what they need rather than what our theory says we should be doing. And I think it brings up an interesting point that the simpler the symptom and the more the symptom allows itself to be treated with simple behavioral techniques, the less the past becomes relevant. That You don't really need to be going through the building of the shed or the going through the patterns of behavior that led to this moment. You can direct yourself to the current symptom in a very straightforward, direct way. The more complicated the presentation, the more it's personality, the more it's the whole complex of the person's behaviors, reactions, emotions, and thoughts, the more likely it will be that it will be maybe even necessary for the person to see the repetitive patterns in their life, the uh, causes for those patterns, the consequences of those patterns. If that kind of insight, I'm repeating myself over and over again in a way that's not useful, the more it becomes very important. That's an interesting heuristic. Yeah. I think that that's what happened with cognitive behavior therapy, that when it was more symptom-oriented at the beginning, it could be more current. As the cognitive behavior therapist began to realize that there were under, underlying patterns of thought that were blocking the simple treatment, they too began to focus on schema, to focus on how those schema had developed in the past and how they affected current behavior. And it's a great thing for patients. I, I think one of the things that binds um, the therapeutic alliance is when you're able to point out in a very simple way how the patients follow the same pattern over and over again in life. And often that leads to an aha experience that's the beginning of a, of a strong therapeutic alliance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I detected, I thought you were going in another direction, and you may have been. Uh, the direction I thought you were going in was what we always keep bringing up, or you always keep bringing up, and I agree with you. It depends. And it depends on the dynamics of the case or the case formulation, depending on who's, you know, whose language you want to use. Psychodynamic is, uh, is the dynamics and the case formulation or functional analysis is a more behavioral. It's like, what do you have to fix in the current situation? What do you have to focus on in order to meet the goals of the therapy, which is reducing the symptom, helping the person become more effective interpersonally or, or whatever. But that should determine the focus, not the theory. And I think, in, you know, in a nutshell, that's it. Yep. It's what the exactly. patient needs rather than what the manual says or what the leader of the school says. Exactly. And in this case, what we're talking about is what you've been writing about for the last... 40, 50 years, 
an integration of approaches that it would be, I think, a great mistake for someone to be trained in a behavioral or cognitive approach that only focused on the present. Yeah. It's an equal mistake to have someone trained in a system that focuses way too much on the past. And it's it's you don't need five years of psychoanalytic training to be able to say there are patterns in people's lives that repeat themselves, that a therapist can often see these things clearly before a patient is aware of them, and that it'll be a useful part of therapy to try to integrate an understanding of those previous patterns into the current behaviors and thoughts and feelings that are causing the problems. Right. So then when is awareness of the past appropriate? Under what conditions, for what examples? I think we said already that the more complex the problem, the less it lends itself to straightforward behavioral techniques. Yeah, okay. Well, post-traumatic stress. That had occurred. Yeah, I don't think you can deal with post-traumatic stress disorder without discussing the past. Right. I think CBT therapists would agree. As long as you don't use the P word, because the past is, is an X-rated term in certain CBT circles. We don't deal with the past, some people will say. And yes, that was true. That goes, that goes back to the 60s when we were dealing with phobias. We don't need to go to the past to resolve an unresolved conflict because an unresolved conflict may not be relevant here. It may be that somebody is afraid of dogs because they saw a picture of somebody being bitten by dogs. And whether they're aware of that or not, what they need to know is that certain dogs are safe and they need to know it experientially. So there's an example where it's not only not needing to know about the past, you don't need to have any awareness. You, it's all corrective experience. Sometimes awareness, increasing awareness, why it could be a common principle across therapies, may not always be needed. And you may be, need to go to corrective experience. Yeah, and I think that, like, I, w I don't know if I'd go quite this far, but maybe I would, that you can't imagine that understanding the past will itself be sufficient. In some situations, it'll be necessary, but rarely will it be sufficient because the person has to change their behavior in the current situation on the basis of that understanding to have real change. You can have someone who completely understands their past and doesn't change a bit unless they actually use that understanding in their current life to be different. So it's some combination of understanding the past, but using that understanding to, to think, feel, and differently in the present. Very functional. Yeah, and, and the great thing about this way of thinking is that it ties together the different schools in the way you were suggesting before. In what way? Well, if I were running a cognitive behavior therapy you know, center and I was training young people in cognitive behavior therapy, I, I would certainly be emphasizing that for certain patients, the schema approach that looks at the strongly um, inbuilt way people have of thinking of things 
and tries to understand how they got that way, not just trying to use the current situation, but understanding how that schema evolved. I think that that should be part of every cognitive behavior therapy training program. On the other hand, if I were running a psychodynamic training program, I wouldn't be happy teaching people that every patient has to regress in order to progress and that it's okay to spend years discussing the past without touching on how that past in, impacts on the person's next action in, tomorrow, today. That the two models come together if there's an awareness that the past does very much influence the present, but that exploring the past exclusively is not going to change the present. Ignoring the past is leaving out a very important tool in, in helping people to, to be different now. So how do we get done in the wool therapists who are very much tied to their theory rather than to what the patient needs in order to recognize this? Well, we've done that experiment, Marvin. You've been trying for 40 years. Yeah. How far it's have you got? working so far. <laughs> well, I think we have to, maybe we have to eliminate all organizations uh, and start again. Start from scratch? From, from scratch. I'm not quite sure why, but um, no, it's, it's interesting. There's you know, the difference between science uh, and policy. It's, it's, it's not just science and policy. I think it, it, it's a difference between common sense and self-interest. So from my perspective, what we're saying today is absolute common sense that no one in his right mind could really object strongly to anything we've said, but that the, the schools have been built on a historical foundation, yeah. have a kind of institutional inertia yeah. that has to teach the same thing mindlessly decade after decade without taking into account both the research and also just plain common sense. Well, they, in order to change that, they need a corrective experience. The therapists need a corrective experience. I'm not sure if I ever told you about the situation after a, a, a CEPI meeting with George Stryker. We went, it was a society for exploring integration and George Stryker is very much interested in open. And uh, this was, was held in Buenos Aires. And then we went down to Iguazu Falls afterwards, a bunch of us. And Iguazu Falls is one of the wonders of the world, uh, but it's not like Niagara Falls where you have just one big fall. It's like a series of them, maybe, you know, a dozen or two dozen falls. And in order to view the falls, you have to walk over a bridge with the falls going under you. And George says, I can't do this. And what do you mean you can't do this? He says, well, I'm afraid of heights. I said, well, we can deal with that. And he said, well, if you, you know, behavior therapy crap is not going to work. And I said, George, we just came from a meeting where we spoke about integration. He said, well, you're not going to be able to do this. 15 minutes, myself and some other people that were with us, we were able to desensitize him so that he walked across the bridges. How? By having him, well, I looked at all of these bridges and I said, these are repeated trials. Perfect. Because that's what you need, exposure for repeated trials. And you want to make it easier before you make it harder. So I said, okay, George, and I know George since graduate school. I said, George, hold on to my arm. We're going to run across with your eyes closed. I'll make sure everything's okay. And they're short bridges, so it's like took 10 seconds. And then we did that and then, then we moved. Okay, now with your eyes open. We're going to run across. 
And now just hold my hand. We're going to run across. And now we're going to run side by side with your eyes open. And he was cured. And he said he generalized to other things as well, other heights. He says, but he still can't understand why it works. Yeah. So that's a good example that the past is not always necessary. Yeah. And we, there are lots of examples where it's not sufficient. Okay. Well, as usual, this was fun. Right, Marvin. <laughs> Come up with another topic, which we seem to always have. Maybe you should discuss, the, you should discuss the future. The future? How, how does the consideration of the future affect? Okay. Good plan. We'll do that next time. Right. Stay safe. You too, Marvin. Bye-bye.